When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to another episode of Friends from Work, a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, hosted by me, Robbie, and by him, Kyle. Kyle, how you doing? I'm good. I have so many things to get to today, so let me just kind of rapid fire here, okay? First off, <laughs> okay. For, I'm ready to go. <laughs> just stop wasting my time, baby. <laughs> um <laughs> First off, if you're a longtime listener of Friends from Work, you've grown accustomed to a very high quality level of audio, okay? I cannot get around the fact that I need you guys to bear with me this week. You can already hear it. I am in Manhattan. (laughs) There are fire trucks and police cars blazing off skyscrapers outside my window. I got people turning on the elevator. My room is really roomy. I have pillows stacked up to prevent the roominess. I can only do so much. So I genuinely apologize if it bothers you. I'm going to do my absolute best to still give you the best content possible. Okay? That's a disclaimer I had to give. We're going to have a mass exodus of listeners after this episode. Please don't. I promise next week we'll be back to that standard you love. You've grown to love. Um, the second thing I got to talk about is we have to briefly talk about the Loki trailer. Maybe we'll do a little bit of an episode later. Um, but it's been out now and I loved it. I'm really jazzed for this show in June. (laughs) Yeah, no, I am as well. Although I feel like it's, it's especially meaningful that you are because you're not, you don't have anything against Loki, but you're not necessarily a, a big Loki fan. No, I think my love for Owen Wilson is overpowering my <laughs> my just uh, about Loki. Wow, um, I, dude, okay, I like Loki. I that. Stop, I that. that's not fair. I do like no, Loki. I, d- look, I, I just... gave the I gave the whole caveat. I I did I didn't say you had anything against him, but I think that you you have gone on the record, and I'm gonna hold you to that here, saying that Loki is overrated. I I have he is, but this show still gets me very excited. <laughs> Come on, the trailer looks really dope. No, I love no, the that's time what, that's travel what I'm stuff. Saying, yeah. I I think it's gonna feel kind of WandaVision-esque where we're trying to guess what's happening every week. And I don't know, I'm really jazzed. The music in the trailer is really cool. Owen Wilson, yeah. it seems like the Owen Wilson and Loki chemistry, the Tom Hiddleston chemistry, is really going to work. That's my that's my gut feeling. That yeah. it's not gonna feel weird. Yeah, no, I I, I like that uh that we've 
you know, found this, this one makes a lot more sense, but we've now found a way to talk about Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn in the course of our Falcon Winter Soldier coverage, which tells right. me that uh, you've got to be something of a Wedding Crashers fan, although that's nothing that we've ever talked about. <laughs> I kind of am, not to the level you are, but also I've never met Owen Wilson, like my bud Vince oh, okay. Vaughn. So you Fair. know, like your good, you know. like your good pal. Yeah, my really good pal Vince Vaughn. You know, if I haven't said it before, I met him the same night I met Hawkeye and Captain America. So no. <laughs> I think I'm just contractually obligated to bring that up every episode at this point. Is that the Especially old Captain America or the Wilson's new Captain America? <laughs> the old Captain America, the OG, <laughs> Steve Rogers. Nice, nice. Um, also, we make the joke every week about how. We have to travel to the directors. This time in New York, I have a pretty good shot that somebody's yeah. from New York. One of the directors or something, right? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. There's a good shot that, that, that carries from there. Okay. This episode, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode four was jam-packed with so much stuff. And I can't wait to get into it. Before we dive into that, a couple of things. One. Don't forget that you can subscribe and follow our podcast on Apple and Spotify. Leave us a review there. Two, follow us on social media at the FFW podcast. Interact with us there. We choose a community question of the week each time, which I'm about to do in a second. And that comes from messages on there, but also messages through our Squarespace website, the FFWpodcast.com. There's a contact section there. We go through those messages. And don't forget, you can subscribe to us on YouTube. As we get more content, we'll kind of buff that up a little bit. But as always, thanks for listening and doing those things. Okay, Robbie, some leftovers from last week. You ready? Yeah, hit me. Okay. Um, this is perhaps the most fascinating leftover I've heard in a while. You remember that last week we brought up the vaccine thing, and we were curious about what was that and how does that tie in? And this right. episode seemed to maybe downplay that even more it seems like maybe they're just gonna say hey that's just a general vaccine they were trying to get for people that needed it right robin hood style right but apparently when this was being filmed there was a whole nother plot that involved a real world pandemic and the vaccine was going to play a huge role in that Interesting. But Disney stepped in because of the real world COVID stuff and said, this is too real. Let's change this. And that's why there's kind of this leftover vaccine plot that doesn't make 100% sense. Huh. I There's multiple articles that are saying that. I can't 100% verify that's true, but it would make a lot of sense. And I find that very interesting. I think that's super interesting. I mean, I, I will say... To me, I still think that the vaccine thing does what it needs to do and that it kind of helps balance out the like what you're saying, the Robin Hood thing where, yeah, they're they're breaking the law. Yeah. I mean, now, you know, after last episode, we see that they're going way far uh, in killing people. But, you know, they're doing all of this with good intentions and they're trying to help people. And so, I mean, like I I still think that it it works without having to lead into sure. a bigger thing, but that is really, it still fits, but they would have taken a way deeper dive into it. Had there not been a real pandemic, it's right. probably the right call by Disney and yeah, it still works, but I found that fascinating. Secondly, um, as many listeners told us, Robbie, IO is in other films. Yes. She is in black Panther and I think two other credited right. films. So that is genuinely both of our bad. 
Uh, both of our bads? Well, my, my more than you. My more than you. I don't think you came down hard one way or the other. I think the reason I said that, and uh, again, I think uh, we had a listener point out that I, I think she had a, a pretty prominent role there in Civil War. or That one sticks out in my mind because it's, it's prior to the rest of the Black Panther cast being introduced. And I certainly feel like once that cast is introduced, she does not... She, she is not a prominent figure in the way that she was in that movie and now in the way that she is here in Falcon Winter Soldier, which is, I think, why my mind went there. But yes, people, which I always appreciate, were very quick to, to set me straight. I will also say tonight, we said this online, we're recording a little bit earlier, which is fun. Right. Um, and which also means that we'll probably have some more leftovers next week because there's less that we're able to get to tonight in terms of uh, stuff that you guys have sent in. But I'm also just going to ask for like a, a bit of grace here because I'm coming I'm coming <laughs> off of a long week of trial. And so look, you know okay. what? Maybe my brain is okay. not as sharp and and just like ease <laughs> up on the you know the vulture circle in here. Like I'm gonna try my best. <laughs> I'm already everyone's already got their fingers ready at the keyboard to find the comic book references yep. I'm missing here. And I'm like, I'm gonna try, I'm showing up, but just you know, a little bit of grace this week. All right. I'm one of those vultures too, just FYI. <laughs> I'm already ready to pounce on you. Um, my third and the most popular leftover last week, we did talk about Sharon Carter a little bit with the potential of her being the actual power broker, which would mm-hmm. be super wild. I then addressed it on social media because so many more messages flooded in hmm. with that theory that she is the power broker. And apparently this is one of the most popular theories online. Okay. But here's my weird thing with this. I kind of want to save my answer to that discussion for the actual episode because I have some good thoughts, okay? Okay, I like that. Okay, so then, lastly, the community question of the week, Robbie, is from our friend Kenny, and it's kind of speculation central here, so I'm going to ask you to put on your theorizing hat. All right. Do you think Sam or Bucky will ultimately take the shield, or will the government force John Walker to turn it in? And I can go first if you want. Uh, Yeah, I want to hear what you're going to say first. I do think that they're going to ultimately take it. And my prediction is that Sam will ultimately end up with it. I know that's not a hot take. However, I do think it would be a fascinating buildup to this political type villain they could be setting up, like we've hinted at in other episodes, if the government, after seeing this video doesn't do anything to John Walker. Think about with all the race stuff going Mm. on and like the double standard stuff, how crazy of a storyline would it be if the government just kind of looks the other way when he murdered this dude and says, well, it was a bad guy. And I just feel like that'd be really poignant story. I don't know if they'll go there. In fact, I don't think they will. (laughs) Um, But wouldn't that be kind of weird or dark if he goes home and they're like, yeah, you can keep doing this. You're doing great. Yeah. I I like that. I mean, I, I was going to say the same thing in that my my gut says that it will wind up back with Sam. And I have some reasons even just from this episode. Um, however, I don't see the government taking it and necessarily giving it back to Sam. And one thing I've always wondered about, um, you know, the very first trailer from Falcon Winter Soldier or the very first clip in kind of the larger trailer for the Disney Plus shows was them throwing the shield into the trees, right? And it's Sam and Bucky. And I 
I'm curious to know, is that what we've talked about before with like the Hulk in the final Infinity War battle where it's maybe a, a deleted scene or it's a scene that doesn't actually come up and, and it was just sort of a red herring. Uh, but I do think that he's going to wind up with it some way or another. What you're talking about would be really interesting because by that route, he would be almost getting back into kind of like the outlaw territory, which is what he and he and Bucky were talking about a couple episodes ago. But to, to sort of piggyback on what you were talking about in terms of Walker not getting shut down by the government, even if that doesn't necessarily happen, I'm I'm really curious to see just where the John Walker character goes from here in general. And I won't get too much into that because I know we're going to talk about it a lot into the episode. But I'm wondering, like, it's one of these interesting things as the as the MCU branches out like it is um, and becomes, you know, more and more like the Marvel Comics universe in terms of its breadth. In the comics universe, you can just kind of have John Walker out in the world and no one's asking when they're reading a Captain America comic with Steve Rogers, like, oh, where's John Walker, right? Or, or really, that's just not really a question you ask a ton in any comics, but we've talked about how it is when you ask in the MCU for various reasons. And I don't think it makes a ton of sense to just have him be out on this dangling thread. And I... I had some folks reach out that were wondering if if this is a setup almost to make him some sort of legitimate villain, like not just an anti-hero, but like some something that outlasts the show. My gut doesn't say that's where it's going, but I'm I I find myself thinking like I, I, I don't I don't know that I would be totally satisfied if if by the end of this um Walker is just like in, in prison or or demoted or something. Um, like, I think I would almost be more interested for him to go fully in that direction or at least kind of like what you're saying. Uh, I even think, like, if he's allowed to keep, yeah, to keep the shield and be, like, the first in what we've talked about as this kind of Dark Avengers thing. I think that would be super interesting. Well, and it just kind of depends on how much is Kevin Feige going to use these Disney Plus shows to introduce new characters that are going to be around for a long time versus how much are they closed books, you know? And I don't know. Right. Like, for another example, is Agatha. Is that the last we saw of her? Or are they going to try to work her into some stuff? Hmm. Um, Yeah. Let's dive into the episode because I cannot wait. The Falcon and The Winter Soldier, episode four, the whole world is watching. So all I wanted to say by way of credits, because I, I think we have essentially the same cast that we've talked about uh, in the past few episodes, but I thought it was interesting. I don't know how you felt. Um, this for me was, I think far and away my favorite episode of the show so far. Really? Uh, I think the way you felt about last episode in terms of kind of like the leap forward is how I felt about this one, which is not to say I didn't like last episode, but this one was the one where like it just a lot of stuff really clicked for me. And I just noted that this one was again written by Derek Colstead, who wrote the last episode that we praised so much, you know, specifically compared to like that second episode that we or you specifically had some more uh critiques of so I just wanted to to I I always think it's interesting you know when you just note that a certain writer's style is resonating 
And I, I think, from my perspective at least, this is the kind of writer that I, I want with these characters. If we can't, if we can't have Marcus and McFeely, <laughs> uh, this is where it really hits for Marcus me. and McFeely on every episode, please. Um, I thought it was great, the writing. I had one other tiny disclaimer, too. I was talking this through with Annika. Um, it's getting weird for me to figure out the pacing of some of this stuff. Not that it's done in a wrong way or poorly by any stretch of the imagination. But again, I'm just not used to TV. And so WandaVision was the nine episodes, but they were 27 minutes like we talked about. And right. it ended with a cliffhanger and felt very sitcom because it was. Um, so they were like right. very finite episodes. But this hit me this week. This is the fourth of six already. So like if they were going to yeah. do some kind of massive plot change, they're running out of time. Right. Um, and then I'm, I'm just trying to wrap my mind around what's the flow of this going to be. Cause it's essentially the length of two movies that were kind of getting a little bit at the same time, but also still spread out. And it's just weird mm-hmm. to me to figure out, like I'm trying to factor the length of the show into my equation when predicting things, if that makes sense. Like I'm saying like, Hey, such and such thing mm-hmm. probably can't happen now because there's only two episodes left. Which is just weird because it's, like I said, if it was a movie, it's like a mid-movie prediction. And I wouldn't have time to stop and think about it. Right, I don't know. That's right. just a tiny disclaimer. I was just kind of struggling no, through I that think, with Annika. I think that's fair. I think, to me, um, I appreciate that. Like, there was some danger in my mind early on. It seemed like they were tossing out. I mean, we talked about this in those first two episodes. A ton of stuff. Yes, they did. Like, it, it felt like... And so I sort of appreciate that they were they really set the table and then they're just kind of playing with those pieces now. And I get the sense that there's not yeah, I don't think that they're gonna add a lot more, but I kind of appreciate that. Like I don't necessarily want any any left turns. Like I want I think that there's still some some twists that could certainly happen. And I think the power broker identity is one that they're definitely building up. And if if that's not Sharon, um then I think that there's a separate kind of twist in terms of what's going on with her. But yeah, I, I tend to like that. It's now feeling fairly focused to me. I like that. It's not taking place over like in, in an inordinate amount of time and that they're dealing with like the, the things that they really open with, like the flag smashers and the complicated legacy of the shield. Like, I think that, to, to me, it makes me think of like when you, you know, like when you're writing a paper and you're supposed to like forecast at the very beginning what this is supposed to be about. And if you can't do that, then it's not very tight and, and it's not necessarily well written. And so I'm not saying that that is necessarily what everyone wants, but I like the fact that it feels like it, they, they know where they're going and, and it's not like, it's not like they're on some open ended journey. Okay. Let's stay, let's stay here for a second then. I wasn't planning on this, but I 90% agree with you, except. For example, we always say we want scenes to do more than one thing. So are they going to follow up on Isaiah again? Or was the Isaiah thing just to show you that there is race issues or race uh, conflict in Sam's heart? Because again, I, I think want they will. Okay, so that's, that's what I'm checking though. There's two episodes left. So I hope they do check it back in on him. Are they going to check in on the first Air Force pilot in the first scene? Or was that just to show us that Sam can fight people? 
Um, that, so, so yeah, that's a good question. So that's what I say though. Is like, and I, I agree with yeah. you 90% that I liked that They said all those things out there. They shot all those rockets out, but I don't want them to then just forget about four of them and just focus in on the eight. They do have, for example, hypothetically. Um, and, sure. and I, I do wonder with the pacing of this, if that might end up happening because they might just run out of time. And that doesn't mean so, the show was bad. That just means that that right. first scene, for example, was just to show you that Sam is a badass. Well, and I'm curious to see. So I kind of think we're going to go back to that because we haven't seen Torres again. Yeah, that's another really example. since the very beginning of episode yeah. two. Yeah, but but I think that that's going to be wrapped up. Like I feel like that's a, a too significant of a character to not at least put to bed in some way in the finale. But whether or not we'll go back to the actual thing, I, I think I could go either either way with it. Like, I, I've always said that's one of the things I, I think that James Gunn did a really good job of um, in in Guardians 2 even, which I know we, we talk about as being, like, kind of bloated. I still think that he does a good job of making, like, that very opening scene, which is just ostensibly really fun, and just a chance to see like baby Groot dancing and the crazy alien stuff, but then it all Harbulary batteries <laughs> right. links back into the very end. And I, I always like that because yeah, we talked about that, like the economy of writing. But on the flip side here, I would prefer it be just a scene that's not related to all this stuff than it be something that feels like a stretch. Sure. Like I, I don't want you know I don't want them to link it in and be like oh and it turns out this guy that was the power broker is actually the guy that he like saved from the helicopter. Right. Right. No. And and I think with that specific scene it is so minor that I I wouldn't really care. Like I said, something like Torres if they don't give us a lot more I would care. Something I think that's, like I think that's the fair. guy in the first plane I wouldn't care because it's like well they were just trying to show you that Sam could fight. Let's stay here for one more second. This is out of order, but I want to talk about because you brought up Sharon being the power broker. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another example with the timing though. So let me just lay this out. If I was to make a pros and cons list of is Sharon the power broker? Let me just really quickly start with the cons. Okay. Sharon mentions that it's a he, she could be lying, but she does say in this episode, it's a him. Sure. But here's my other thought. If they haven't introduced the power broker yet and it's episode four, that means at the earliest we will see him in episode five which is starting to feel a little bit like the Mephisto stuff. Now we know mm-hmm. Power Broker is a real person, but you know what I'm saying? Where we started thinking right. like, hey, if they're not going to bring Mephisto in now, they probably won't. And, and so then I, I was deciding like, okay, if Sharon is not the Power Broker, then that leads me to believe that it's one of a few things, okay? One, either they're going to introduce the Power Broker and it's somebody we don't already know but then I don't think they can kill him or end that storyline in this show. I Because yeah, if you're going to totally introduce agree. somebody this late, it needs to be a setup for a future movie. Mm-hmm. Okay? Or, or like what you've always said, like a long-running villain that sticks around for a bit. Right. Because otherwise it's just too fast to bring him up and then end him. Right. Uh, if it is somebody we recognize, that's the only way I could see them bringing them in now and then still ending it by the end of this. Maybe not killing him, but ending the storyline. Because we would already have the shock factor of, oh, it's that person we already have the history with. That's the only way they could they could wrap it up in this. Like so one of our listeners suggested, what if it's Justin Hammer? Oh, gosh. And I would love that I, so much. 
I would love it so much too. I don't think it is, but Same. that's the only kind of person where it's like, if it was Justin Hammer, I could chuckle at it. And then an hour later, if they figured out how to like, you know, write him off the map, I'd be okay with that. Oh, but see, I, and, and I kind of, I would very much hope that they wouldn't though. Like again, like if you yeah, can get be too Sam Rockwell back in and also like to that point, I'm not going to go fully down this, especially not right now, but I will say the language like from that text, like the, the little girl line, like that sounds like something I could see Justin Hammer saying. I just don't think Justin Hammer is that dark though. It seems they're making the power broker to be out this like terrifying person. And that's not Justin Hammer. He maybe wants to get money and get into stuff, but I just don't see. But that could also be a bait and switch. I mean, it, it could be, you know, it, it maybe that's what they want us to think and that we have this like terrifying person in mind. But like, are we uh, the, the thing okay? Is, but here's good. Are are we ultimately going to be scared of some person like this? Like I I, I don't know what I, like I don't know if that's the I think it would be almost be more subversive. Okay. To you know to just take the expectations that we have and and twist them, which is what we always say that we kind of want from the MCU. Right. But on the other hand, I was watching this episode thinking, is Sharon the power broker? And there are a few signs. That it could be the case. First of all, let's just go over some practical things. She's super, super rich. And she explains the artwork thing, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. But at the same time, she has access to satellites. She Mm -hmm. has money from some other facet, it appears. And in this episode, if you notice, when she's making that phone call, she's walking by and through like a bunch of armed guards. As mm. if they're set up for some military function, and she's just casually walking through them. Also, the one hurdle my wife brought up is if she's the power broker, why did she order all of those bounties on Bucky and Sam for killing Selby? But then I brought up, well, theoretically, depending on how dark she is, she may be trying to manipulate this entire thing, and maybe she thinks Bucky and Sam have a good chance at getting the serum back from Carly, and she doesn't. Right. Well, because that was going to be my question is like, is it maybe like, maybe she's using them for her to get the serum as help? I, sure. No. And, and that would be totally like I would I would buy that. There's a part of me that would think, wouldn't you like, wouldn't she instead be like, I'm going to come with you and help. And then once she's there with Carly, then then turn uh, the power broker clearly doesn't want to identify himself or herself. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I, I don't need well, to stay on this the whole time. It is fascinating to think about. It might be one of the Mephisto things where we get yeah. to the end and it's some other guy. And I'm like, well, Whoops, I was an if idiot. there's an, th- this is one of the things like we talked about how there were there were a lot of threads with WandaVision that I think we I wouldn't say we necessarily. Well, we read too much into, but I don't think it was unjustified. Right. Um, this is not me reading into something too far that I'll be disappointed. If it's not Sharon, I'm not going to be like, oh, this show sucks. Right. But but I will say if there's nothing to if there's nothing more to Sharon's character, I am going to be a little thrown off because they intentionally gave us at least that one scene at the end of of the episode where I just I, I don't know if it's going to be that she's working with the power broker or or someone else or that she's lying about something but if it ends with like everything's just fully on the up and up um i think i would be a little bit thrown off by that but i i was just gonna say like to 
to close that out, if they make Sharon the power broker and make her into some full-on villain, that, to my mind, and I'll you know have to think on this more later, I guess, but I, I think that that would be the biggest departure from the comics that the MCU has ever made. Okay. Because she is like a, a long time like ally and in the comics, like girlfriend of Steve Rogers, that is like very much fully a hero. I mean, there are a couple times where she's been like brainwashed and stuff as happens in comics, but <laughs> yeah, I, I just think it's worth noting it, by the way, they could totally do it. They did it with the Mandarin, you know, in a similar way in Iron Man three. But I just want to throw that out there. I want to go on the record really quickly and say, I don't think she's the power broker. I think she's probably working for him, a la Loki on Sakaar, where he's sure. not the main villain, but he's just doing what he has to to get the money and get out of there, or like even notoriety. Like she was left in this crappy situation, and the power broker's making her rich, so she can kind of just work under him, I think. And that's that could be justifiable. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into some other things. Rewinding like crazy. I really <laughs> love the very intro scene again. Wow, yes. I'm loving all these intro scenes, but this is a scene from Sebastian Stan that I really bought. I thought it yeah. was moving how they did it, how Io is trying to cleanse his mind and test him. The way mm-hmm. he did that with his, his tears and his biting his lip, and then finally the freedom he was feeling, I thought that was really moving and well done. Yeah, no, I, I had this. I had the same thought. And I just love that it gives us a look at what that process actually looked like. Like we only ever saw yeah, him true. kind of go into like cryo freeze and then he comes out of the, the little like tent and he's, you know, we know that he's healed. And I mean, I, I never thought that there was like a plot hole there or anything, but I, I just like that, that it was an emotional sort of like therapeutic experience for him, not a like he goes in a tube and Shuri just yes. just like clicks a button, you know? Like medically just cleanses him and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it makes So he's it more been powerful. going through some form of therapy for quite some time now. Yeah, <laughs> true. And also like sure I'm a sucker for this. This is gonna surprise no one. But I just love all the little flashbacks to Winter Soldier and, and Civil War that they splice in there, like, as he's going through. the Like, his his acting around the fire is definitely the core of that scene. But I, I like the way that they're showing what's popping into his brain as she's saying the words. I just thought that, that was You effective. just like it because they were cat movies. If it was Iron Man, you wouldn't care, okay? <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> um, also, it wouldn't make any sense. Okay, I love... As a continuation of last week's episode, this new Zemo vibe. To me, it gives more depth to the character, and they just explained his new vibe even further this episode. He still had the humor, but also he still has this weirdness about him. It's not this, but he has a little bit of like a Joker quality still where he always is getting out of sticky situations when he's singing the children's song and offering them candy. It feels a little weird, even though he's not doing some... He's being a full-on creep in that scene. And these kids also really need to wise up because they're literally taking candy (laughs) from a stranger. But then my other favorite part about Zemo is, and you and I texted about this, 
they didn't stray away from his principles. Yes. He still is holding to his principles. So even though he does have money and he does seem to be more cultured than we ever thought, and like he even has the funny line of um, touche, but there's never been another Steve Rogers. Like even yeah. he is willing to admit yeah, the super soldier that. serum is only flawed if they're not Steve Rogers. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the only time it isn't flawed. <laughs> I also, Candace and I both laughed out loud the the exchange do we really have to litigate what may or may not have happened? There's nothing to litigate. You just straight shot the man. (laughs) But that's funny because, oh, also, by the way, the the stupid head tilt comment from Sam was really funny, I thought. Um, um, The humor has gotten way more natural as this has gone along. To me, the first episode, the humor felt forced, like I said, and now it's really, really setting in for me. Yeah, yeah, I'll give Um, you that. But also, like the thing he was saying about shooting the guy, he still has those, I mean, like, he still has those principles. He has the chance to take the serum and sticks to it. He doesn't. Yeah. I even really enjoyed his actual on paper explanation of why the serum doesn't work in general. Mm-hmm. The supremacist and the yes. Nazis okay. comment. And the, like, we're getting background on why he feels this way. Not just that I'm pissed my family's dead. It's right. also I have this set of principles that I have to live by. This is one of the most interesting parts of this episode to me, and I think this is why this is my favorite, because I think that whole conversation really informs the whole show and and really, like, gets into some of those kind of political complications that we have been talking about that, that this show is addressing in a way that no other Cap movie or really any other MCU movie has, at least not as head-on, like... Because the like the way Zemo runs through the thread from Red Skull to Cap to Avengers to Ultron, like it's interesting because he's not he's not wrong talking about like the Superman being a supremacist concept because even going back I mean historically, like going back to the way the Nazis perverted Nietzsche's Ubermensch idea, like it it is like a and Superman was kind of a twist on that originally to kind of reclaim that even like it is like they're getting into some really nuanced stuff where like in a world like in a cinematic universe built on the idea of superheroes. I think that this is becoming a really interesting exploration of like what that is and, and whether that's appropriate and in the whole conversation between him, him and Sam where you know, he talks about how, you know, gods can't be allowed to exist. And Sam's like, well, that sounds like something that, you know, like a god, a would, god say. would say. Yeah. yeah, like, I think it just it, it just gets into some really unique territory. And and I'm curious to hear from our our listeners whether that stuff is intriguing to them, but it's definitely intriguing to me. OK, here's what I love about that, though. How often have we diagnosed the villains in these Marvel movies? I mean, every single episode. Here's my favorite thing. Who's the villain in this? Who's the villain in this series? And here's my point. I love that instead of saying, hey, here's Obadiah Stane. He's the bad guy. You need to defeat him. Mm -hmm. Or here's Whiplash or Malekith. You need to defeat these guys (laughs) because they are trying to do something bad. Stop them. This is what I kind of... Yeah, I'm just I'm just going through all the classics. Um, <laughs> this is what I love about this. What they're showing is that everybody has a little bit of gray area, dark side, 
And everybody mm-hmm. is willing to do things that they would compromise on for their own agendas. So in a way, the Flag Smashers are the villains because they're killing people, blowing up houses, and doing some bad things. But they're taking care of people, and they think they're genuinely trying to help the Earth, and mm-hmm. they haven't done that much damage. Is Zemo bad? Because Zemo is helping us try to track him down, but he still is shooting people and and still doing sketchy, creepy things. And John Walker <laughs> is operating out of what he believes is right. He needs to stop Carly from hurting people. And he right. even says that, that like this Captain America gig is the first chance he feels to do something right. But then obviously we see that he's super aggressive. He's a little bit arrogant. He's selfish. Mm-hmm. Like, and my point is, I don't know who the real villain is here. And I love that. And let me add one other thing. It's kind of like WandaVision in that way where it's like, Hayward by himself is kind of a crappy villain, but Hayward as one piece of the puzzle with Mm -hmm. Agatha, with other people on the outside, with wondering is Wanda a little bit bad? I'm kind of loving this new trend of the gray area. No, I, yeah, I totally agree. And, And I would love to see that continue, even if it's just for this next phase, because it is so different. And, and you can even throw Bucky in there because he's questioning what his role is in this. Right. Well, and, and there's a bit of a conversation there between Sam and Zemo about that. And, and that's why, like, I, I thought about this in the context of that conversation that Sam and Carly have after the, the kind of funeral ceremony, where I, I think that scene, for me, is maybe the first time it's made clear how much Sam really is the spiritual successor to Steve yes. Rogers. Like he he is the the quote unquote good man that he genuinely believes in people. He doesn't want to hurt anyone. He sympathizes with folks who are just victims of circumstance. Like that line, blood isn't always the solution. Like I I think that, and that's why I say what I do about about the shield because, and and that's why I like this show because at the end of Endgame, I think we were all like, okay, well, yeah, like we like Sam, like that makes sense, and like Steve and Sam were buds, so he would give him the shield. But like this is in in sort of a similar way to none of us thought WandaVision was going to be Wanda's origin story because we had had it for several movies. Same with Sam, but I feel like this is kind of becoming in my mind. Like us his getting to story. know his origin story. Yeah. It's, it's, we're getting even to know more than Bucky really is. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I love the callback to his counseling in winter soldier too. And mm-hmm. we never really got to see that he actually is good at that role. And again, dude, this is my thing, the power levels, right? But this is the writers <laughs> acknowledging that just because you're not the strongest one in the room, which he's not when the super soldiers or Bucky are there, They're giving him a very, very solid role that he can Mm -hmm. play. And you're right. All this talk with Sam in the shield, Bucky in the shield, and John Walker in the shield and the serum, it calls me back to the first cap where he says, you are not the perfect soldier, but a good man. Right. And you think about how Walker is the perfect soldier, but we're not seeing the good man side. And they even have the discussion of what does the serum amplify? Yes. Which is and, another callback right to that Erskine scene. Right. But my point is, 
Sam is the one that says he wouldn't want to take it, but Mm -hmm. Sam is maybe now the only one that should take it theoretically. Right. Right. So I guess I say that all to say, I'm in agreement with you that this has been so fun to get a whole lot more development on him. And he's moving up in my book because I'm getting this role carved out. I'm getting this character development. I'm getting this niche for him as a character that I'm really enjoying. Well, and and I, I really do love, this is what I was always hoping we would get when it was first announced that John Walker was going to be a character in the series. Like the contrast there is so, it's so interesting to me because I, I, I love that they don't just make Walker a caricature. They don't just make him some, like, I'm going to come in and be all the time, like, a, a jerk to everyone. And I, like, don't think about anything. And I'm just going to, like, beat everyone. Like, it's not that he's, what we talked about early on. Like, they don't make it so that he is, like, entirely unrelatable. They, you see both of these guys. And on some level, you can really understand where they're coming from but I like that like it's not that Walker is a bad guy and maybe we get pushback for that like obviously he does bad things but I think that if he were that would be so lame like as a as a character like I I, it would just make all of this sort of boring to me but the fact that like they really spend time letting us get into his head and letting us see like these conversations with him and Hoskins because like he he is just like it shows you how unique someone like Steve is like to go back to the line you were talking about with Zemo and and, you know, in the same way, someone like Sam is who has that kind of heart, because whereas Sam really does want to go in and try to talk this whole thing through and almost succeeds. Walker can't even hold back for 10 minutes without coming in guns blazing and in some ways that feels like the more like standard. Yeah. Like the standard soldier response, like what you're saying. It's, it's not that he's, again, it's not that he's a villain. He's not doing anything nefarious in that moment. That's why I think it's really important. I get all the memes and stuff that we don't just write off John Walker as like, I hate him. He's not Steve Rogers. Everything he does is, is, is dumb. Look, he's playing a role that you're not supposed to like, by the way, he's playing it very well. Yeah. But then, like you're saying, they give you those other scenes. And if you just wrote him off as he's all garbage, you're missing some of the emotional core of his struggle, too. Now, this was obviously the most punchable episode because when Sam was making that progress with Carly, I wanted to see that keep going so badly. But then obviously I knew that was coming, (laughs) that that was going to happen. Yeah. But I think that those scenes in the locker room, like we've referenced a million times, but also in this episode, that scene after he does the autograph and he, and he has that scene with Hoskins where he's talking about the serum and what it means to be Captain America. It does help humanize him a little bit yeah. besides just some maniac soldier. Well, and, and you know, like the I, Afghanistan comment, I thought really was yes, good. When he said, like, was we both did things. We did things that weren't good. Well, it's, it's such an interesting way of approaching what, what we've talked about, like the complexity of being Captain America in the 21st century as opposed to the 1940s. Like, for Steve, he didn't necessarily have to deal with... Like, Steve, you know, is a veteran of a war where there was a very clear bad guy. Like, even... Especially for him, right? Because it was the Red Skull. It wasn't even, like, just Germany in general. Like, it was very clear what his task was. And Walker's coming to the 
to the role of Captain America having like really mixed feelings about whether or not he is even like a hero in the same way and whether he's been fighting like a just war and a battle that he even fully believes in. So like all of that, you know, talking again about some of the insecurities that I think the show is doing a good job of exploring, like it just puts him in a position that Steve didn't have to be in. But I want to add that even Steve felt some of those conflicted feelings. True. Because Steve ultimately went on the run because he couldn't justify how he felt for Bucky. And he fought against his fellow Avengers because he disagreed on something. That's true. And ultimately laid down the shield because he felt like it didn't fit anymore. Just how they respond to those conflicted feelings are so different. Oh, for sure. Because Walker is so aggressive, Steve decided to kind of internalize it and go on the run a little bit. But... Even Steve felt that way a little bit. So I think I like, I'm not going to lie. The scene where Walker says they weren't even super soldiers actually hurt me a little bit Yeah. for like two seconds. Yeah. I felt bad for the guy because he's trying and I totally disagree on how he's going about right. it. And I disagree with his arrogance and his vibe, but he's trying and he's not enough. And you can tell, you can tell in that moment. And that's why I think that Wyatt Russell did such a good job in, in that I think he's done a good job in general, like you said, but in that moment, it's it's what we talked about two episodes ago where it, I like that we started off with that locker room scene because I think it's at the tone that whenever we see him being all blustery, that is largely projection. And then when we see these moments when he's alone, especially with Hoskins, that is actually him. And, you know, I, I think the tragedy of that is he thinks probably because you know, he's he's trying to fill someone else's shoes that he has to pretend to be someone that has it all figured out and is is hyper confident and can handle the situation. And so whenever he in front of Sam and Zemo and Bucky just gets like so beaten down by the door Melage, like, yeah, I, I think that that's like a that. Was, yeah, I, I totally agree. That was a powerful moment. And, you know, the, the sad thing is if Walker you know, if he hadn't come in when he did, like you're saying, to break up Sam's conversation, um, then Sam might have figured out how to resolve things with Carly then and there. It seemed like he was going to. And then they could have just handed Zemo over to the Dormelage then and there. And that means they never would have wound up even fighting the Dormelage or having to chase down Carly later. And then you realize, you know, Hoskins would would not have wound up in the situation that he does at the very end. So there's like a lot of tragedy, I think, to to what's going on with Walker in this episode, which I, I will say I really appreciated. I, I, I thought the way that Jackman brought in that Civil War no, theme. No, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Hold right on. There. Hold on. Hold on. That was my big reveal. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> that the, the Civil War theme is so good there. Are you kidding me? It was so, it was so unlooked for and it was so perfect. I mean, it's an, inc- I've, I mean, you know me, I've said it's an incredibly moving theme since day one, but it just to hear it here. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Pause, please really quick right there because two other Walker comments really quick. And then we've talked about Sharon. We've talked about Zemo. <laughs> Let me wrap up Walker here. I thought that one, um, it was frustrating to me that Bucky seemingly, I guess, let Walker go in there because 
Bucky was holding him up and Walker would not be able to resist against him. And yeah. then he let him go in, I guess. I guess Walker got to him with his talk of you're going to let your friend die in there. Yeah. But I wish Buck would have trusted that Sam knew what he was doing even longer than he did. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think I think he was probably preying on Buck's own insecurities and like his own, you know, like he's probably right. questioning like, you know, whether he is is the the hero or the villain in these moments. So, right. Yeah, I agree. Buck's probably second guessing himself all the time with his background and all that. Okay. But also dude, Greg and you and I were right about the serum. Are you kidding me? Yeah. From the beginning of the episode, we got some hints that the serum was out there and Walker was starting to get more pissed. And I knew it right then. I wrote down the serum. Here it comes. I literally, here comes the serum because, and that was way before he was taking it. Cause I just knew they're hinting that he's going to find one of these and he's going to want to take it. Well, even the Zemo conversation was such a bit of foreshadowing. Right. And as I said earlier, I freaking love that Zemo didn't take it. But for one second, mm-hmm. I was tricked. I thought maybe he might. He's staring at the one I, I really did believe. Oh, he might just say, you know what? The best way to end this is let me become super. Right. And then I'll do it. But I love that he didn't go back on his principles. And then, yeah, that was a fascinating twist with Walker taking it. Were you a little bit let down with how fast his body adjusted? Like we didn't get to see that pain and that burn that Carly talked about, or did you like how they did it? That's a really interesting question. I, I've gone back and forth on what I think about them doing that as sort of a surprise. Like you don't know whether or not he's taken it. Um, I don't know. I, I might be with you. I might've like, I, I don't know. Part of me thinks it would have been cool to see him go through it. Part of me thinks maybe it's what we were talking about before with like the them not showing us Cap and, and Nat stealing the the Falcon wings. Yeah. Because it's like Like we we know what that would have looked like. Right. And I think they, you know, ultimately they just wanted to get it out of the way quickly so they could show that he was super and keep going with the plot. Cuz I think they knew that we knew that was coming. So why like yes. go through the whole rigmarole? Yeah, and make it some reveal or something. I agree. Okay, now, to piggyback on what you said a second ago, my other biggest takeaway from the entire episode was the Civil War parallels. And let me just let me just get you started here. The theme, obviously, <laughs> right. right? Incredible. Zemo kind of escaping because they're tearing themselves apart again. That he could just back out of the room because they're all fighting each other. Uh-huh. And it was a lot shorter, but it was kind of his same plan played wow, out again. Wow, yeah. Also... The literal shot of the shield going into the guy's head, which we'll react to that in a second, uh-huh. the ending, but that being incredibly like Tony and the way Cap is pounding the shield into Tony's heart. That's so true. But Cap decides to not finish the job and walk away, whereas Walker can't control himself. But there was just a ton wow. of- Wow, that's a great thought. Yeah, that's true. That is such a parallel image. Right, and very, very obviously done. Like um, Tony saying, you don't deserve the shield versus all of the talk now of what is the shield and who even deserves it in the first place anymore now that Steve's not there. And I just want to add, not just those, there's other Civil War parallels and obviously the other parallels from the other Captain America movies that I caught too. Like the counseling thing from Winter Soldier, like the good man versus perfect soldier thing from Cap 1. Like... Just so many Civil War parallels and then such a fun tie to all the Cap movies, like we've said from the previous episodes, but but to an extreme degree here. Such a cool way, yeah, to highlight 
the the fact that like there it's not that Steve and John Walker are like totally opposite people. It's the little choices that they make in these big moments that that determine ultimately like who they are. I mean, plus just to see somebody holding the shield and hear bum, 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 and them feeling sad is just like, oh, it brings Man. me back. I I also just like, again, to, to speak to Walker being a more complex character, um, I, first off, the, the Hoskins death, that hit me surprisingly hard. I mean, that was a brutal scene. Yes. I'm torn because you know how I love consequences, right? Like I need stuff to happen. Right. Um, but I really was enjoying Hoskins as a character. Yeah. Well, even even the fact that he's the one that the fact that he's the one that that was like, no, let Sam go in like he. That's what I was going to say. It's so symbolic that he died because, like we said, he was kind of Walker's conscience. Right. And now his conscience is gone. So you see what happens right after that. Well, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I know some folks will probably say it's predictable and that's fine. But I I just really love that Walker's final turn there is driven by grief and not just by sheer bravado. By the way, one little nitpick I have is I always think it's funny when the Flag Smashers are fighting as super soldiers with knives. And then when somebody actually dies, they all act shocked. Right, like, right. Oh my gosh, he's di- he died. What the heck? Well, you were trying to kill him. What did you right. think was going to happen if you succeeded? I will answer my own nitpick by saying I do think part of their shock is, A, I don't think they are killers. So it's easier to say on paper, we're going to kill Captain America. Totally. But then when you actually do it, it's shocking. Like, ah, right. I didn't actually, I'm not used to killing people. I've, you know. On a serious note, from any person you ever talk to in the military, I think anytime you kill somebody, it's it changes you. It scars you, whether you think it'd be easy or not. Right. So I think that's a little bit of my answer to that. But still, do you know what I mean? No, it's totally. It's like, oh, but no, I, he's dead. But I do think you're right. I do think it's like you're, it, it's the moment. And even for Carly, right? Like, I think it's a different thing to press a button and a building explode. And That's true. You know, in your head, people died versus like literally punching a man to death. <laughs> Like I, I, think, I agree, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a, it's, that's part of what made the moment so powerful. And then the fact that she's in the crowd looking as, as Walker loses it. And I'm sure feeling responsible for the death of now her own friend. I mean, it was a very, th- that scene and the final image of the, the blood on the Captain America shield is one of the, the more powerful images of I, for for me like of the MCU and, and I'm not saying it's it's like it's it's you know ranking among my top favorite scenes but that was just like given all of the the symbolism and the imagery that we've talked about around this show um and kind of mm-hmm. what it's tackling like just a, a yeah a poignant moment for me for sure the only other time I felt like they used symbolism to that degree was when Thanos cracked the shield in half and we're seeing Cap holding half a shield. Yeah. And the symbolism of how defeated he was, you know, because that shield's never taken a beating. And to see someone who can crack it in half 
and him laying there on the ground. That's the only other time I remember right. the shield being so poignant with the symbolism. But yes, the blood on this, so brutal. How about this? I had a friend text me this. Think about how brutal it is that that guy that he murdered was the guy that said he looked up to Captain America as a kid. Right. And he was a fan of Captain America. Right. And the last thing he sees is that shield basically beheading him. Brutal. Yeah. Jeez, that's yeah, like, that's such a think good point. of think about the layers of that though. Man. That's heavy, man. It's just such an interesting like this is it, this is exactly like yes. threading the 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 kind like this is the territory that I want to be in. Like this is what's interesting about the whole premise of this show to me, and I just love that that now we're at a phase where we're just embracing it, and that's why like yes. Yeah, I, I just, like, the next episode, I, I really am so excited to see where we go forward. Not on just, like, a plot, what happens, but I just really am excited for how these conversations are explored. Yes. Dude, again, this show is doing less of the theorizing stuff where it's like, oh, I, I need to know what happens. I do want to know what happens, but it's not to the same degree. But I'm still so in because of all this stuff. You're so right. By the way, another little thing with The Shield is... A shield in and of itself is for defense, for protection, mm. you know? Whereas, like, when Thanos is wiping blood off his sword, it's a lot less jarring because that's what it's for. It's a sword. Right. But we've always seen Cap use the shield kind of in a way to disarm people, to protect mm -hmm. himself from falling, to protect himself from bullets. He throws it at people and knocks them out. But you've never seen a shield used to, like, head someone to where there would be blood splattered all over it. So aggressively and as a, as a weapon, as a weapon. Right. And the only other time we've ever seen that, I think, and listeners can check me on that is in civil war when he's doing it to Tony and yeah. then kind of like checks himself of like, Holy cow, what am I doing here? And walks away from the shield at that moment. And so, yeah, to see this shield being used so aggressively as a weapon was jarring and amazing. Yeah, that's that's so true. Yeah, the more I think about that comparison, that moment, and the, the yeah, the difference of how Steve responds to that. And right. The symbolism of it is all backwards now. You know, it's upside yeah. down from what it was Man. originally intended. Okay, one other thing I really want to get into quickly, um, Carly. I mm, feel like we yeah. learned a lot more about Carly in this, and we got a deeper picture of the Flag Smashers than ever before. Mm -hmm. I really liked that Sam gave us a practical explanation of what they like better in the blip. Yeah. Did you catch yes. that? Because yep. they talked a lot about how they liked the blip better, but I was always like, how can that be much better? We saw New York with everything and uh, all the ships abandoned. Right. And we saw right. people having to go through counseling from everyone they lost, but you don't think about some of the stuff they gained. And I like that. Sam said, look, there was countries that were protected with barbed wire. And now that barbed wire was torn down because they needed more people for jobs. They needed more people around. Mm -hmm. And so the people that used to not be able to get in were now welcomed in. And I never thought of it that way. And I like that explanation. Yeah, I do too. And, and like, I think it is telling that the flag smashers seem to generally be so young because you think of them having kind of now grown up in some ways, like entered their teenage years in a, flip world and now as they're like kind of coming into adulthood it's reverting back and so i think that that would be e even more of a jarring shift right 
But I also did really enjoy that scene with Sam and Carly where he's trying to talk her down, not only from Sam's perspective, because it was cool to see him counseling and that it was working. Uh-huh. And that I told I mentioned earlier I was frustrated that Walker ruined it. But again, trying to humanize the flag smashers with their shock and how they kill people, but also in the way Carly talks with Sam. She truly thinks that she is bettering the world. And I liked hearing Sam talk her off that ledge, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, I really loved that that conversation. One thing I thought was interesting about that, um, especially on the second watch, that the moment there where she says, Sam, these are the people that are trying to take away your home. And and then Sam makes the reference to Sarah, and then you know Carly calls Sarah later and basically threatens her. So are, are we to understand that at that moment, Carly had already kind of done her research and knew enough about Sam as a person and his sort of family personal situation to be able to bring that up? Or was that just like an off the cuff comment? Well, first of all, I want to add that again, when we get humanizing things of Carly, then you get to still see the gray area where she's willing to threaten kids for the greater good in her mind. So I liked that they give us that tidbit. Secondly, I would say, yes, I think, but there is also potential that there's something else going on behind the scenes. Like maybe somebody else is feeding her information. Maybe Hmm. Sharon is playing a role in between the power broker and Carly trying to manipulate it for herself or somebody else could have fed her that. It's possible. We know Sharon has access to satellites. I'm not saying it's Sharon. I'm just saying either. Yes, we're led to believe that or she's getting information from somebody else. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair, man. I, yeah, I really am curious to see what uh what what Sharon's sneaking around doing. <laughs> that was sneaky what Sharon. <laughs> what a sneaker. Sneaky Sharon. Can um, I uh I, can I say one more random random thing unless you have something else on Carly? No, go ahead. I this this is this is this was a really again, I loved this episode. I thought it was it was tight, which I liked. So like, I liked that we weren't going to cutting to a ton of different locations and different characters. Like, it was all pretty centered in this one spot in Latvia. Like, I just everything about it was it it it, it like was everything that I kind of hoped that this show continues to be. Um, and a lot of that was really emotional. I know we've been talking about some more like heavy hitting things, especially when we talk about Hoskins. However, have you noticed? Surely you have that Hoskins uniform has Hoskins on the front. <laughs> Wait, why does that bother you? Is he not supposed like, to it wear just a, has a his name, name. It just has his <laughs> name like right in the center. Like, are they worried we're just going to forget his name? Like Walker's <laughs> doesn't have his name. Like, and, he and he says he like goes by Battlestar. So if anything, have a little like Battlestar insignia <laughs> thing. I just think it was so interesting that they're like... <laughs> This he he just walks into every room and goes, hey, Zemo, see my name? I'm Hoskins right here. It says right, right here. <laughs> hey, Carly, I'm Hoskins, just in case you're curious. Like, <laughs> exactly. If you forget, by the way, it's right here on my nameplate. <laughs> <laughs> like he's going on these like covert like ops missions and he's just like, hey, here's my name. By the I'm way, Hoskins. <laughs> it's Hoskins. <laughs> I love that. Uh, okay. On a lighter note that I also need to add, if you haven't already seen our Instagram, at the FFW podcast or our Twitter at the FFW podcast, Marvel released the Zemo cut. Did you catch this? They put out the full <laughs> background, like three minutes of Zemo dancing from last scene and it blew up. 
So if you want to see more behind the scenes of Zemo dancing and some other takes of it, by all means, dive in. Excellent. <laughs> okay, okay. And then I have one last thought. It's actually on the negative side of things. Uh-oh. And I'm just going to... No, it's not even bad. It's not even bad. I shouldn't say that. Um, somebody messaged us and said this, and I totally agree. I have loved the super soldier storyline throughout all these movies. I loved it in Cap 1. I liked it in Winter Soldier. I liked them talking about it again in Civil War. I like it here. However, if the Falcon and the Winter Soldier ends with the super soldier serum being a large role at this point, I think it's played out. I, I just, oh, I don't I, want any more of it. I totally like, agree. Could not agree Do you? More. Okay. Yep. Because like, I liked it with Steve and that was a cool explanation. It was even kind of cool when they twisted it to say Hulk, you know, tried mm-hmm. to recreate it and that's how he became yeah. the Hulk. All that's been fine. And even this show with John Walker taking and stuff, it's fine. But I'm just, I'm ready to not talk about it as much going forward. Yeah. That's what, all. What, what bothers me a bit about it even, even here, and I'm It feels like a trope they can just keep going back to. Right. Like, oh, because, what do I do? Let's just make this person enhanced. Okay. Well, yeah, right. What I like about the comics, whether or not it's believable that, like, this science would have peaked with, you know, this German scientist in the 40s. Like, I, that, that's one of the things in the comics universe that's always funny to me, like, because they talk about how it's lost. But then right. you have people in the comics like Tony Stark and Reed Richards and Bruce Banner where it's like, surely these guys are, like, smarter than this, like, one scientist. But... But I like that. But they in the hold MCU, they've done a good job because they've explained that people are trying to recreate it, which they would. No, right, and and they do in the comics. But what I was going to say is, in the comics, whenever they do create it, there's always like a hitch. Like it's always like, oh, look, like we recreated it, but sort of like we saw in Civil <laughs> yeah. War, they become right. like psychotically aggressive, or like right. there are some some major issues, like with the Hulk being the extreme form of that in the MCU. And I like that, and I think at certain times in the Marvel Comics universe, it's it's even been hinted at that, like, the way that it combined with Steve's genetics specifically are, like, what made it work, so that even if someone could do the same thing, like, there was sort of this, like, one in a million chance where it happened. And, and I'm not saying that, like, that is the most satisfactory explanation, but I like it because, yeah, like, if everyone, like, if this is something that's just, you know, the only barrier is just, like, waiting till science gets there again, then even though Nagel's dead now, and even though the serums Somebody are Somebody else stopped, will roll on. Right. Yeah. What's to stop someone else? And, yeah, I, I don't love, like, that's why I would kind of hope, and it doesn't seem like we're heading in this direction, but I was hoping that the super soldiers, the, the Flag Smasher super soldiers, would have these kind of downsides that we hadn't seen yet um that said that steve didn't have but right. because the Otherwise, other thing, why the other thing i'll say yeah right like this is another big difference between the mcu and the comics universe like in the comics we talk about how bucky comes back and he is cap for a while bucky in the comics world never had anything like a super soldier serum in the comics all that he has is he's got the, you know, like the lifetime of this like spy training. So he's essentially like on par with Natasha, except he has like the vibranium arm, which is obviously an asset. 
but right. we never find out there. Like, you know, here we find out that after Cap 1, he was experimented on and therefore that he has this his own serum. But I'm a little dissatisfied with that because now I'm like, okay, so does that mean that Zola himself like was able to crack the serum in a way that that he hadn't I, prior to that? And then if that's the case, why didn't they distribute that all the way through Hydra back in the 70s? You know, like, the, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm not trying to dig too I, deep here. My but. other thing is if if Nagel discovered the formula, why can he only make 20? Is it what what's in it that's so intensive, time intensive that he can't mass produce hundreds right. of thousands or set well, up a business that does it? But but again, I've mostly lo- overlooked all those concerns for all of this. And right. I've liked it still for most of this. I just am ready to talk about something new once this is over. Sure. So if it well, if it ends with Steve Rogers having it, Bucky having it, John Walker now taking it, and like a flag smasher or two, I'm okay if we leave all those pieces on the board. Right. But let's just not talk about it so much. Let's not talk about recreating it again. Let's not try all the things you just said. That's all. Well, I, I think it's I, I think it's sort of the flip side of what I've praised this show for doing, which is exploring all of these lost decades of cap continuity. Um but like the yeah, the flip side is <laughs> Really, for me, and maybe I'll get some heat for this from comics fans, but like Captain America has has arguably two like great uh, two or three great villains being like the Red Skull, Zemo and Zola. Those were all used in really effective ways. But in oh, in, in Batrock, we can't forget Batrock. Um, of course, the labor in the MCU, they did those really well, and but but ultimately did a great job of making like the Winter Soldier and the Civil War movies, especially not really about that because I think they realized that like Captain America just doesn't like he's not someone that's known for his villains like in the same way that like Batman and Spider Man are. And what's fun is now we're getting into this world where they're digging deep into it, and you realize how much of it is kind of like super soldier based. Like when you really dig in and different like variations of that. And I, I think that, yeah, like hopefully this is tying the knot on that. And I think there's a way where it can do it totally like in in a way that I'm satisfied with. My only thing is like, I, I, I hope that they tie it back in more to the fact that this came from Isaiah's blood and talk about it like being unique in that way and then dig into what experiments were done on Isaiah and somehow trace it back to like, because that sort of assumes that yeah, Isaiah... I forgot about Isaiah right, and all this like, too. <laughs> because that means he must have had the, the, the serum in a way that was viable enough to now create these that seem to be right. like really similar to what to what Steve had um so I don't know wow. like that's to to go way back to the very beginning of this episode um I think what you said like that's one of the things that if they don't kind of wrap up and put a a real bow on I'm probably going to walk away a little bit disappointed I was just trying to make a quick side offhand comment. I didn't realize it was going to trigger you into this epic rant. And I loved it. I love Robbie's rants, but I just, I didn't know we were in such agreement on that. So great. That's excellent. I'm with you. So Robbie agrees with me, but what do you guys think? Right? See that turn there? Okay. Uh, Message us 
at the FFW podcast and rate, review, subscribe, Apple, Spotify. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, Robbie, we are kind of rounding the last corner here of the Falcon, the Winter Soldier. And I wanted to kind of announce a couple things. Obviously, this was episode four. Next week will be episode five, the pre-finale. And during that week, the week of April 19, we are behind the scenes calling that the Falcon and Winter Soldier mega week. (laughs) So leading up to the finale, Robbie and I are trying to plan just some special stuff that week that we do nightly, maybe even. I can't guarantee that, but we're trying to make that a fun week as we lead into that finale. And then, like I said, guys, even when the Falcon and the Winter Soldier ends, Friends from Work is not over because we have some really fun (laughs) stuff planned in the off time. And as I said before, I can't stinking wait for Loki. I think it's going to be WandaVision and Vibe, and I can't wait to talk about it. Oh, I have so much to talk about still. And then Black I love Widow. And then Black Widow. Uh, okay, well, just, yes. Kyle is freaking out here. So all of that stuff <laughs> is going to be so much fun. And we would love, absolutely love to have you along for the ride. So as always, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. So we'll see you next week when we talk about The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Episode 5, at the same time, same place, right here on Friends from Work. Friends from Work.